Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We were going to have an in-conversation, but Dr Julie Goff has just given a talk to the educators and did it in a bit of a different way. So we're going to let her roll with the way that, that feels good for today. Um, and Julie and I actually had an in-conversation that was recorded as part of the Tanandi talks over the opening weekend. So you can go onto the website and um, hear them. But I'd like to just start by acknowledging that we are here on the lands of the Ghana people and to pay my deep respects to the elders, including Uncle Lewis O'Brien, Uncle Lewis Yellowberka O'Brien, who was given the keys to his city by the Lord Mayor today. That was really amazing. <laughs> they made history. Um, so really, really incredible, momentous day. Um, and I'd also just like to acknowledge the work of, of Julie Goff and just the incredible stories that, that you're bringing to life, the true, the true stories of, of the, you know, the past and the events that have happened throughout Lutrawitta, um, throughout Tasmania, and just to thank you for coming again all the way from Hobart and to be with us today and, yeah. Oh, thanks very much, Nikki. It's um, fantastic to be here again. Um, I also would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Ghana people, whose country I'm really privileged to be here on again. Um, and um, this always has felt like a second home for me to come to Adelaide for so many years now. It's been a really um, great time to connect with community and artists and and in the festival period and the openings in particular, it's really um, in really sustaining sometimes for a whole year almost to gather in this way and share as uh, creative communities from around the country. Um, so I'm gonna launch because of time. I'm, I'm living in um, Nipaluna, Hobart, and I um, my maternal, my traditional country on mum's side is um, Tebakuna, that's in the far north of Luchawira, Tasmania, and um, our people are Trawalway people. My dad is a Glaswegian through and through, and um, so and he still has a broad accent at 85 years of age. So he's um, that's an, another side, another story, a part of my life as well. And um, I grew up in Melbourne as a kid. I was born in St Kilda, so I, um, that's where I was a baby, in Ackland Street, in a milk bar, in a high chair, in a corner, and apparently sang, a, sang only one song, not particularly well, but uh, there was a jukebox and coins were put in and I would sing, which is a bit of a worry. I hope I'm not... <laughs> now I make art, I'm not sure if there's any parallel, but um, then home country that's um, very different. So these two different lives and what do I make of this? Is, I suppose that is my journey is for me trying to understand what happened that created uh, even to my nan, my nan Zira, she, was a she herself was a, like a servant in a colonial house uh, in La Trobe, uh, Frogmore in northern Tasmania where my mum lives in East Devonport which is like an extension of La Trobe, the town. 
and my brother lives uh, at Portsville nearby. Anyway, we just, I think, absorb and learn and continue what has happened to all of our families within us. And um, I, I suppose I have this privilege to try to understand and share that as an artist that is, um, and while people are willing to um, spend time with the art, then I'm still in a, it's a viable proposition, isn't it? What I do is really research, I really feel the need to research what happened on, on, on uh, Lutruida, particularly the 1820s, which is that epic decade when uh, there, we were almost annihilated as a people, Aboriginal people. And uh, so I'll firstly talk through um, what is upstairs, the Psychoscape exhibition, you know, installation, I mean. And then the, with time permitting, some of my other works, that they all interrelate. I don't think I make separate works. I think it's just one big work over 25 or so years now. They, um, one leads to the next. Sometimes it augments or takes something further or adds something else. You know, there's... It um, just seems like a giant piece in the end. Uh, so I was really privileged with this experience to work so closely with different parts of the team. That's the art gallery here. And so when we look at this um, circle, this was created with generosity of design, uh, design department and designer. I did a pencil drawing and a glue stick, which is kind of my, <laughs> yeah, digital art capacity is a little low key. But um, I created this as a, and then photo and sent the photograph, sent the files. Uh, and this really explains what's going on within the space. So rather than just have a psychoscape in black text and say, go in and see psychoscape, I really wanted to set the scene. And so this was a new opportunity for me to work with a designer and um, offer that. So really it's a compass or a clock and it's pointing southeast to Lutruida, Tasmania. It's... Um, suggesting that we're kind of st we're still in in that time and and bound by um this this sense of what was happening as i say back there in the 1820s this these small figures relate well they are liberated from this panel that of which seven survive in the world called the proclamation to the aborigines one of its titles so these were placed on trees they're about fool's cap or just bigger than a4 size on timber these were placed on trees in Tasmania, Lutruida, to communicate to Aboriginal people that there would be this equal justice, that colonists killing our ancestors would be executed in the same manner that Aboriginal people would be. Uh, so it's kind of a promise and it's a threat at the same time. Uh, and it's ending, it depends if you read it from the top down or the bottom up, but this, if you read it from the bottom up, it's saying, well, let's all end up together in this bizarre uh, harmony, though that is still, I suppose, where government and people are trying to be, but I think jumping too many steps to immediate kind of reconciliation without actually facing the truth of what happened here, which is, or for me, what happened in uh, Tasmania, Lutruitis, um, it's really uh, important and significant that it all be um, forensic, forensically examined and explored and exposed. So through some of the artworks, I, I attempt this, and uh, alongside that, I have a parallel set of uh, blogs and online ways to share the information that I'm finding because sometimes it's, you know, you can kill an artwork very easily by being too didactic. That's my lifelong challenge that I kind of want to provide the information. But I, in this instance here upstairs, I've, I, I yeah, resisted, which um, I find has left the kind of poetic and a, probably a little cryptic uh, install. But um, given, I was thinking earlier about this, 
given the time frame that I had, was quite useful. A deadline meant that I couldn't bestow it with a lot of facts. And so you've got a kind of mysterious situation up there that might be useful and might encourage people to search further themselves, perhaps. So it's, um, I'm still doing that, so it's probably the reality. The, um, so this, as you walk in, on, I'll talk about the room and the, the works within. It's gallery eight at the kind of the top facing the, the main street of outside the gallery. Um, this is, a, you can't really see particularly well, but it's a small pencil rendition of this. Because uh, the art gallery doesn't have one of these panels, only seven in the world that we've found so far, refound. But uh, this is a pencil rendition with the wrong titling. And it's kind of interesting, all of these ways that you can look at what's in the gallery system and how, um, you know, what might be properly or inappropriately or improperly attributed or named or um, the, what is history, what is fact, what is truth. I think everything is up for, you know, renegotiation and who's, who, who values what, like what should be within the walls of these galleries. So this is actually called Governor Davies' proclamation mistakenly because uh, he was an earlier governor than Arthur and he did not create this uh, series of, of sketches. This was actually suggested by George Franklin, the surveyor to the government, that he saw what he called rude charcoal drawings in our ancestors' huts and said, we can communicate in this manner by sketches. But by 1830, we were almost all annihilated. And I think it's one of these um, attempts by um, Vandemonian government after the fact to show that they had uh, been trying to negotiate with our ancestors and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's no true, there's no, there was no point at that date to tr attempt such things as this. Um, this is when you enter, they've got the first painting on the, on the right is the, this uh, John Glover work, Sunset and uh, Aboriginal people in the kind of last corroboree kind of setting. And I was uh, this is actually what's dissected at the beginning in the psychoscape wheel and, uh, and jumbled up. This is this idea of haunted inheritance. And uh, on the, that's a close up of it. And I was fortunate about three years back when I was in the, in the Biennale here to work with that piece and, and um, spend time filming uh, the light changing at that place where this was set in real life. Uh, so I think that all of the previous, as I said, previous works lead to new works and I suppose these experiences such as um, sitting and filming and finding that location has led, again, it's one of those steps towards what has happened upstairs with Psychoscape. So the second work on the wall is, is by um, William Pigeny, who um, visited, well he stayed in Tasmania, sorry, he was born there, but he, he um, painted this work um, fairly late in the day in terms of where our ancestors were by 1900. So either mm, t a lot of our, my, two of my ancestors were exiled to Flinders Island, um, several died in Bass Strait and others made their way back to Lutuita, Tasmania. Um, but this, uh, this, so in responding to works in the collection, my idea for what's held in here is to, is to sort of strongly assert that nothing is surface or as it may seem and there's always more and kind of encouraging like what lies beneath or how to revise your view of something. So um, I, I spent quite a lot of time trying to figure out where this was through Google Earth and driving around Ross in, it's in the centre of what's called the Midlands. So everything's a bit doppelganger English over and Scottish in um, Tasmania. And so the Ross is currently flooded and the, and the um, water system looks more like this than when I uh, filmed recently. And just to go 
sort of sideways to some earlier works to show what, what this kind of experience of creating Psychoscape um, propelled me into was to move, you know, to move my way through gates and, and resist filming over fences, which I've spent 20 years really spending a lot of time on the side of roads. And only in the last, it's through COVID in fact, I've somehow um, gained the, the, the courage or, or um, kind of feeling almost furious about it, like just this relentless inability to be on country and to be locked out of so many places but because they've been colonial land grants from the 1820s, so many of them, uh, I, I determined to find these places and, and gain access in, in whatever way that would be feasible. I purchased a drone, so I was sort of almost becoming a bit militaristic in my intentions to... Uh, but with, um, so these are some of the properties. I keep on um, accumulating them in the same manner that I'm accumulating information and evidence of Aboriginal people that lived and we can find no more about them who lived through the first 50 years um, up to 1850 with colonists in particular, Aboriginal children. So I, I, there's a, I think that I'm a little OCD, which is quite useful as an artist in, um, in this sort of relentless search and and building evidence for what occurred and, and continues. And these pastoral properties with these names that are invariably Scottish, Irish or English are really useful. So I hope they don't get removed from people's gates because they place very much more than a number on a, on a fence where particular episodes and events happened. Um, so this is earlier work as well where I was filming at fences and, and, uh, and trying to see across these landscapes that I was feeling very locked out of. And I said in an earlier, in the earlier talk today that um, recently my brother was talking to me about how um, Aboriginal people, we say, oh, we're going on country, this, we're going on country, we've been on country. And then he said, he said this is, um, he said, everyone is saying that, but we're just going to national parks. And um, I, I, I just went, yeah, yeah, that's it. It's not like we are locked out of so much of our island. And then there is 40% of it that is um, World Heritage Area. But how much you can actually go s safely there when so many of us are of ill health and ill wealth, you know, a lot of, or how, you know, like how, how to uh, manage that. So the reality is that, um, yes, yeah, saying we're going on country isn't, is not, it might feel good, but it's not the truth, you know. It's not quite where, where it should be. And... So this is what this frustration and this destabilising of psychoscape is about. That, uh, yeah. So on the floor is, is Ross. The, with the drone where I found the cattle near Ross painting was created. And uh, of all the footage I took, the most, the, where I was early on as well was this idea of having a sort of spinning platform because I'm, in my magical mind, techno, you know, things will just be easy, but it was easier to buy a drone and, and spin the drone. I think that's probably a better solution. And directly on the floor, just this idea of peeling back and not having extraneous things like fake, a fake floor or just straight on the stone floor. So it spins and spins and um, I said it, well, when I installed it, oh no, I should have um, provided sick bags because it's, <laughs> it, it can really make you a bit ill. And the other thing that happened is, that I'll mention again, is that uh, I didn't, I did like all the reading of everything I couldn't do with a drone and not near eagles, not near power lines, not near people, cars, roads. Um, but I, it doesn't say not near friendly ducks. 
And um, so all of the rivers have you know, willow trees and these uh, mostly introduced ducks that just come towards you when you're trying to land drones. And so it became this like almost could speed it up as a comedy of uh, landing the drone before the duck could run into it anywhere. Um, but like I also said this earlier, like no ducks, no ducks were um, you know, harmed in the making of that. Um, at the, on the back wall, there's the work, um, so the flora says uh, it's Psychoscape Ross and the back wall projection is Psychoscape River Clyde. And uh, so it's another work I've, I've uh, responded to in the, in the collection here and it's um, by Von Gerard, a well-known painter of um, landscape here in Victoria, I mean Tasmania, Victoria. And with that work I've um, had to gain permission through first Google Earth, then ascertaining who might I know in the region that might be able to introduce me to invariably wealthy landholders. You know, that was the, uh, and, and how do I, how far, you know, what will I, how does that work? Will it work? These works are so cryptic that it, it isn't as, wasn't as arduous as some of the other pieces that I have and intend to make in, in what I was showing, because the closest I showed to this being a place of an epic bloodbath, the River Clyde, is to tint the water red during part of the footage at the end. So I'm just, I'm suggesting, um, I'm not naming people, events, dates, times, but um, the footage breaks into, into um, different components uh, to be more surveillance in parts. And this is, I think, what I'm trying to achieve in real life is learn and re-disseminate what happened here. Oops. Um, so the chair on the left, that's the labelling here, is from the collections in the art gallery, the Jimmy Possum chair. So, and Jimmy Possum is, well, he's, un, he's an unknown, it's, it's almost, he's become a mythological figure in the manner of the key rings in the room in a way, when you think of it. The, um, he's, it's been proposed that he was an Aboriginal man that lived in a hollow tree near Dalaran in the north of uh, Lutruwira. Um, this may or may not be true. And he made this bush furniture. And these are in collections around Australia and also incredibly valuable now, much like the proclamation panel. These objects that once would have been not seen as of one are now collectible. And so the mystery of the chair is um, for me kind of, um, when I saw and knew about this chair some years back in the collection, um, I proposed that I would send this small table to, to be on the platform and stored along this uh, kind of landscape and interior because I think indoors and outdoors are always for me a bit of a push-pull of, of um, the same stories and, and they may appear different but they're not so. What, what's happening indoors is determining what's going to happen outdoors. The small table is um, unknown maker but I purchased it in Westbury just a few miles down the road from Dalaran um, from a second-hand shop. I, I said, what is this amazing you know, what is this amazing table? And the man said, oh, it's, it's um, leftover their props. They're leftover now from the filming of The Nightingale, which was a film, do you know of the film? It, I actually have the DVD and haven't brought myself to watch it, but I need to. It, it's a film about the massacres and what happened in 1820s Van Diemen's Land. So, that, so it's kind of fitting for me that the table is accompanying the chair and accompanying the um, painting of this waterfall that looks so beautiful. And when I actually um, sent the image of the painting to the landholders, so that kind of gave it some legitimacy in a way. This sort of colonial art, if you're researching colonial artists, you're seen as less threatening as an Aboriginal person or any researcher. Um, you know, and uh, 
you can gain entry to, you know, whether it's a drawing room or, you know, through a gate. There's something strange about them. They have this potency that is, um, I haven't quite worked out. I, I think it can, they're weird tickets, you know, to permission. So I'm, I said I'm an artist and would like to visit this waterfall that's in this painting. And um, then I was delayed. They asked me to wait. I think it ended up being six weeks. And when I got there, they explained part of the reason was that I didn't say, they didn't say, um, you know, the, the emotion behind it, but they determined the farmer to remove, they've been overgrown with willow trees. So they had been spent the time trying to remove it back to look like the painting. So, so that's the painting. And, um, and on the right, there's a couple of guys with fishing rods. And, and in the installation, I've sent over two spears because it's this, everything for me is a bit like, not exactly replacing, but how to bounce things, how to create this room of, again, destabilising, but also mobility between everything that they all communicate. Um, so this is some of the footage. You can see on, the, on the, the top right, these are burnt willows, and then there's a whole lot that were chopped down. And in the drone footage, you can see a red petrol, ta uh, petrol can is there. So to get down to burn them is quite um, an effort for the farmer and you can't get any other equipment down there except by carrying it. So there's some, some intention there. Um, it's just really interesting to, like if I find a painting that's, you know, maybe I need to create the colonial painting of Aboriginal people holding a land deed and then, then they'll want to reenact that. <laughs> and sort of, it's just like, I just have to go, you know, <laughs> to, just a bit back further than that moment of that painting to, yeah, so. Anyway, we're all looking for the treaty that we can't find, but it was in, in, in Van Diemen's Land. Governor Arthur did meet with the leaders of um, the people that had come in to negotiate, and they weren't surrendering. They were the Big River and Oyster Bay peoples. Of, part of my family were from the Oyster Bay peoples. And uh, it was clear from the journals of George Augustus Robertson that the, the walk into Hobart, armed and straight to the governor, was not, oh, we are, send us to Flinders Island. It was a, a negotiation for terms that later, like even in two and three generations later, people were saying, we've done our, we did what we said and now we want what you said you would do, you know, so it's, um, yeah. Anyway, I make, I make art and try to figure it out, how to explain it somehow, that we're still waiting, you know. So on the wall is um, our two Lycett prints from the collections here, and he, uh, they're two works from Macquarie Plains is near Ross, and um, the, uh, and underneath is a brown vest, so one of the guns of empire, the main musket of empire, so used in Canada, South Africa, India, um, where else? All of the, all of the yeah outposts of empire, this whole continent. Um, did I say India? Yeah, more than that. Um, and that I I recently purchased that online. I'm not sure I want it in my house, but maybe it can just tour galleries forever and um, <laughs> with Lycett works. Because Lycett are seen as these kind of very pretty, but they actually contain a lot of information. The, the series in New South Wales, um, quite a few have Aboriginal people present and evident, and but the Tasmanian series don't. Instead, just showing um, colonists, and all of them have the, the brown best, the same firearm in, in, in them. So, you know, these, these are places that they were not tigers or lions that they needed to protect themselves against, yeah? It's really, to me, um, 
these were on hand and ready. This is the 1820s and 1810s to, um, against um, Aboriginal people. Always leaning like this, ready. And so many names of the central part of Tasmania were uh, changed when Macquarie visited to names he suggested and about him and his wife, Elizabeth River, Macquarie Plains. And he was the man that, um, you've heard of the Appen massacre, he basically gave the orders to spare not women, children, men just um, annihilate. And then he goes to Van Diemen's Land, God knows, but I do know, you know, what did he say to colonists there? So. We'll work, we'll see. We've got, it's good to have a bit of background now. <laughs> it's a bit too happy though, isn't it? Do they? Oh, sorry. Maybe they've got some bark out there. They could, or some. Um, the live feed is of my garden, which the reason for that is to, well, until I got here and saw it, which is when I was like physically here, it felt like a reunion. And if I was homesick, I could just go hang out in my space. It's quite nice, but the reality is it's just to ground it and show that there's no past. It's all continuous and interconnected, you know, and those places in Elicet, this garden, it's all real and it's all, you know, things are unresolved, things can grow, things can change. In, in the suspended in the wattle tree are the key rings of an Aboriginal warrior and a swagman, these sort of these ideas of a mythological beings that are permitted to be these founding figures of, of Australia the sort of staticness of them, but then again, I've mobilised them in the trees, so they're here for the duration, whether, you know, weather or sun or, you know, whatever weather or storm or sun. And on the way out, you experience the promise, which is a chair with shadows cut out, like figures cut out from the proclamation panel I started with, cut out in vellum, kangaroo skin, and uh, I've previously installed this, but without now there is a dog as well in the in the storyline because they 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 are important they were the creatures we took in and they protected us uh, they warned us of colonists coming to raid our camps at 3 in the 3 or 4 just before dawn so they're part of the story of um, in a way how we survived um, so they're suspended and mobilized in the manner of the key rings in my garden in a way just saying oh you know, s stories, how they might intersect, what they might tell us, how to wade through what we were brought up with, because the 1960s key rings are kind of what I was brought up with. You know, the jolly, one's a jolly swagman and uh, n the Neville Garden statue type situation. Um, so yeah, just um, simplification and turning things into nostalgia. Well, Tony Albert works a lot with this, like how how to face it and and um, work work through it because it's um, it's so trite and it's not it's not good enough to be this that we inherit about you know nationhood and how Aboriginal people have been cast in these ways. On the way out of the gallery, you get the, the this is a small watercolor. It's an um, unknown artist and brown, black peg is um, being presumed to be an unknowable uh, figure. Like who was this girl? So she's, she's emblematic of a, a passion I have to try to understand the colonial, in colonial times and what happened to all the Aboriginal children that lived with colonists. So there were 185 I've found so far of Aboriginal children who before 1850 lived with non-Aboriginal people. 
and the, the, the great majority of them, I believe, were taken during massacres. And um, I just, on the way here, I was trying to like, work out how many had been baptised. So 48 out of 185 were baptised, uh, two-thirds in Hobart, and half of them were um, baptised within two different years, which I think can correspond with and appear to um, violence that was recorded. So to the, the way that um, history is dissected, the way that disciplines work in the academy in the West, you know, that talking to a teacher earlier about like there's geography and geology and, you know, just separating history from um, everything, you know, all of these separations uh, are kind of how um, history, um, Aboriginal history and colonial history has been approached that's not helpful. The idea that, um, for example, the massacre map is really incredibly useful. It's being created, but it's saying we will plot all of the deaths of five or more Aboriginal people. But um, every death um, counts and every wounding counts and of also colonists as well. Like how can you build the picture without all of it? And then all of these children, 185, can be placed into this storyline as well of, of um, you know, where we're at right now. So I feel like the artworks are outcomes whilst the research continues and that I keep um, sending the research, you know, onto online blog sites and um, speaking to people to hope that we can make more sense out of out of it, the confusion that every everyone's work is like what is happening with the massacre map is really useful because then each step will create. Wait a minute, we've left this off. You know, if you don't attempt something, you don't know what's missing, and that's always what I'm trying to understand. So. Uh, slowly understanding where children have come from, like where they were living, um, and that they can be placed in particular districts and with particular colonists. So this film that's in Melbourne, but I haven't seen it yet outside of my computer, but it's been, it was installed in April this year, can you believe it? But anyway, poor old Melbourne. So this is one of those works. So talking now, I'll just, I've broken my work up into these like four sub-themes. I keep doing stuff like this because I've obviously got too much time or something. But um, I think, I'm thinking about the hidden figures of history, like our ancestors and the missing children. The idea of active remembrance as an artist, like how I can get out on country or in a laneway or wherever, physically there, um, you can actually learn and share so much more than if you're embedded in the archives, which I've was my comfort zone or sad comfort zone for years, like how to, I, I just wanted to make the archives uncomfortable for everyone else, which kind of works, but it's not actually healthy for yourself, you know. Um, the other themes are the lost world, like trying to understand through, um, but whilst looking through the fence lines, the crime scene that's my island, and the impossible return, the desire to know and to learn and to be back in a particular time that's in, of course, we cannot do so. Uh, this, so this work, this is a resource from the education system of Tasmania, and this is the kind of thing that my mother grew up with, you know, so it's pretty significant that we remember and, and see, you know, so how, how people, Aboriginal people have felt in a classroom as, with that as a resource, right? Seriously. And then this, uh, back in 1830, that's the year when the government, kind of pressured by colonists, decided to hold a military campaign to send, to capture and ship Aboriginal people to Flinders Island. Two of, two of my ancestors were sent across and um, one, one survived. And uh, other 
family, extended family, well, their, their sisters and brothers died on Flinders Island, as well as one, uh, one of my ancestors' fathers. Father died there. But um, this idea that there were 600 people in 1830, um, that's just coming purely from the panic of the colonists because they actually had annihilated up to, we don't know, 10, 15,000 people had been killed in the previous 30 years. And who surrendered a year after this were 26 people and one was a child. You know, that's the Big River and Oyster Bay people walked into Hobart with their, you know, refusing to surrender, as I mentioned. But so how much of this is, you know, falsehood and, and attempting to explain the amount of uh, violence expended by creating numbers that weren't actually true by that date? Uh, these are some works from the, the, work, the exhibition that preceded this that really led to Psychoscape was my good fortune to have a, a solo exhibition, invited solo exhibition at TMAG, Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery in 2019. And uh, the curator, uh, Dr Mary Knights, was um, pivotal in, in really well fundraising, well, her vision and fundraising enough to bring back together all of the works I'd made over 25 years into four galleries. Uh, and for a five-month exhibition, so it just was um, incredible for me because many of those works actually, I'm saying back together, well, they're back together with me, but they'd never been in the same room before, most of them. So that created a, this um, special, like it was like an engine room, you know, against empire, and um, made me realise how much I would like to keep working in and keep working in installation and indoor, out, outdoor, and conversations between works whether they're from collections that need questioning of the position and the labelling, such as in all of the gallery and museums, uh, but also how I can continue to work with the objects that have had a previous life, because I think they're haunted and carry a certain amount of meaning that we can utilise. You know, it's quite um, helpful to think of the lives these objects have had. And so these are abacuses to count and think about those missing people. Uh, the silhouettes forms these, uh, I'm still working with these as a, the possibility to inhabit the central, uh, the Midlands of Tasmania on the side of the highways where there's 16 other silhouettes by a, a metal worker. He's created them more than a decade ago and no, there's no, none with any Aboriginal, no Aboriginal silhouettes out there or anything intimating that we're anything except England. So. I, 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 I can see that these would be um, provocative, but I think they're necessary to tell the story of, of what happened in the 1820s and earlier. Uh, these are some other forms with using the, again, utilising again and liberating again the proclamation panel because the woman, say the woman on the end of the tent, for me is uh, so significant as carrying these children, you know, the non-Aboriginal woman holding the Aboriginal baby, or whether it's the Aboriginal woman supposedly to be created in, in the form of a servant class that never happened, that um, she, she speaks a lot to the ambitions of the colony, because I do think that there were attempts, and it, it did, there was a, um, there's even, yeah, this imagery of Aboriginal children to be footmen, that this sense that Tasmania was maybe going to be almost an antebellum south, like, the southern states of the US that didn't eventuate. Um, these are children again and they're liberated off the 
panel itself. I'll just click through a few. So these are all works about the missing. These are our women, one generation of women that were taken by sealers. Um, some of these women ended up here on Kangaroo Island uh, in South Australia. Uh, my ancestor, Waratamaratiyana, on the, the first named woman, she actually spent time on King Island and uh, over on uh, Rodrigues Island near Mauritius, or a day by boat from Mauritius, Mauritius and uh, King George's Sound, at the, which is now Albany. So these, a lot of these women... Um, I think went to sea and never came back at all. And there's more, there'd be, I think, three times these women, we just don't know their names. Um, a, this is an earlier rendition of the children I found by 2008 who lived with colonists. And since then, um, it's doubled. And then that led to, in 2019, at the same time as the indoor exhibition in TMAG, this outdoor work, Missing or Dead, in the forest of um, the Queen's Domain next to Hobart, next to Government House. Um, so with a friend designer, Margaret Woodward, made the template for what I'd been research, you know, researching and looking for the children to find, their, find its way out of my computer, which I think is, um, feels really necessary to find different ways to do this, continually share this. And um, so... That's um, another, another work, another series, this idea of being, showing, showing ways of being and uh, articulating what, what particular stories that you've, I've heard and taking them to places and people that otherwise I wouldn't, uh, I suppose, if I was staying in the archives or in my house, etc. But this work is a res response to a shoe that I found at a place where a violent event might have happened, at a place called Skullbone Plains, which doesn't portend very positively f as a name. And um, it was part of an artist camp with uh, was like 10 artists and nine were botanical artists and then there was me. And I could tell that I was supposed to do something Aboriginal. and. Uh, I, so then I was naughty and went and found a shoe from a crime scene that's probably of 1920s colonists because uh, there's nothing I like worth, you know, less than people predetermining what I'm going to make. So I was a bit naughty really. But then this, this shoe precipitated this whole storytelling by someone that had heard there'd been a murder of a woman. And um, so then I shared this with my brother and mother and the story and they took it way further when they said it back to camera and it made me question this whole idea of truth, you know, truth and fiction and fabrication but also there was a longing in them and now me, I've kind of contaminated all of us with that desire to find out the truth but it's, um, it hasn't emerged yet. I think that the woman was killed and it might be her shoe. And um, I'll just click through some images again for a while. No one picked me up when I was hitchhiking with spears. It's, it's, fully, it's really discriminatory, isn't it? It's not. That, that you could have put my spears in the back. And also there's a chairlift. This is at Stanley, and they wouldn't let me put, go up the chairlift with my spears, so I had to walk up. It's like, if you've been the... Anyway, it's... Um, when you're unfit like me, it's a bit epic. But this is where the land... This is the headquarters of the Van Diemen's Land Company, who under they have you heard of the Cape Grim massacre? The stock keepers killed men, women, and children, pushed them over a, a cliff, 
um, further west. So this is an attempt to go to a place and in the end I buried the book that um, is, has been obsessing me for decades because it, it carries snippets of all these, all these stories and there's this compulsion and then this inability to kind of, you know, they're all like cold cases. So that, that's, in the end I, I try to bury the book that, because it, um, yeah, takes, it sort of stops you living in the present, this information and, yep. Um, this work was um, in response to the Australian newspaper in 2007 when John Howard said Aborigines must learn English. That was his day bill post. That was a poster for the newspaper that day. And I was really, I was over in Perth on an artist residency and I was so aggravated. And uh, I re remembered immediately that I, our ancestors spoke very English very well by the 1820s, but little good did it do us. Anyway, there's a whole lot of, like this idea of preventing dual language learning, etc. what he was speaking about. I just, you know, I, I took it to think about what happened to our people in the old days and sh there was a means by which I could share uh, how we felt way back then. In a way, Tasmania is like an early warning system for the rest of Australia. And for the north of the continent, you know, people just, just look south and, you know, it is a bit like X-Files, don't, you know, trust no one. In, in, um, in negotiations, he had it in writing. Uh, these are prints that I was fortunate, I, I said earlier, oh, I, I made these last year, but I forgot that, like, last year just was, like, didn't even happen or something. So these, I made these in 2019, but it feels like last year. I think um, last year I was just watching Netflix and eating chocolate. And so this was a residency at the Australian Print Workshop, which is incredibly valuable for me to learn about etching and hand colouring and um, trying to do what really ends up here in Psychoscape, which is investigate what's within artworks and, and respond and modify and say, OK, this can be my toolkit. What's held as hallowed, hallowed objects in these collections? just go for it, who's going to sue me, give it a go, you know. And um, so these are the children's names that I'd found. Quite a lot of them were just girl, 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 boy, 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 you know, um, but of the children living with colonists. And this was a work where I um, altered a lyset print and uh, it's a story of my ancestor being shot on the Lake River near the South Esk River in 1825 and surviving. Um, thanks to two brothers, Brumby, who uh, went and s spoke to a police magistrate of what they saw, which is so rare to find any account of anyone assisting an Aboriginal person, you know, ever on this continent, let alone in 1825. So uh, it's a really significant for our family. This is, a, this is where I've recently been filming trees that are witnesses to events. Uh, for a video series that's at the Powerhouse Museum at the moment called Witness. Um, but at the same time, I'd made this print earlier about the event that happened here, which was that the man in the middle of the painting, John Allen, at Milton Farm, which is now a winery estate, which means winery estate's quite useful because you can kind of just drive in yes, and um, <laughs> undertake a certain amount of, you know, surveillance, etc. So the, um, John Allen went to England and commissioned this painting of his surviving an attack by Aboriginal people 
all day. I mean, I'm not sure how one man with a firearm of that antiquity, of that, you know, capacity, uh, it's, it's um, obviously he was not intended to be killed, right? But the etching on the right is, is me in the middle, it's called Attack of Historians, uh, because it's, it's me just twisting it into the reality of, uh, for us in Tasmania, every sort of 72 hours, an, another historian is writing a book about us. So it's becoming a bit um, serious down there. So I'm just surrounded by um, people that you probably could recognise if you know who writes about us. In because um, I think it's assumed that we don't have the capacity or the interest in in our own history, and it is dif it's difficult because you know they're not all historians are not the same, and they do useful work, but they it kind of perpetuates this idea that we're we're, we're dead. You know, Tuganini was we're not speaking our history. And I, I've chosen to be an artist instead, but I'm, I'm starting to feel like I should do a few writing workshops to speak our truth of our past, you know, in words, because books are taken seriously. I, I think it is, it is problematic, but uh, I just sent an email this morning to the latest uh, author of the latest book, Broken Sphere, of a young man who was an incredible freedom fighter called Kikadapola. But I wrote an email to him saying it was an amazingly well-written book and the, that historian I respect for his, the way he um, engages and uh, meets with and assists, he's really there for Aboriginal people but, but, there's, but there's still that underlying issue, you know, but he, that's the first one I've read where I've gone, well, this is actually an incredibly useful resource for us rather than them going on a circuit of book signings and being the kind of heroes. What, a couple of them talk about um, that they're responsible for, um, they're, they're responsible for resuscitating these people that um, would otherwise be forgotten and they're our actual ancestors, you know, so anyway, that's my hobby horse. Anyone in the audience who's written one of these books in the last two years? Um, I'll stop with this one with, I mean, I'm bleeding, sorry to like gross you out. Um, I was, a, a leech attacked me, yes. Uh, but I was, I'm not a particularly successful bushwalker, but I was only in the bush, you know, for two hours in that clearing and, uh, and I was already beset with leeches. But this was a really amazing opportunity for me, though, to be taken to a place that I would never even be able to get to ever uh, by boat, where the French landed in the 1790s, Dontrecasteaux expedition, and... Um, when they left, they planted a vegetable patch, as you do. Maybe when you're French, you do that. <laughs> and um, it was really kind, and there was lots of herbs as well. Um, they came back, I think it was like 10 months later, and there was only like one plant still remaining. And they released uh, animals, I can't remember which, they were all kind of, I think they were um, speedily um, eaten by my ancestors, our ancestors. Anyway, this, this um, idea of the possibility of being invited to undertake something is really uh, you know, uh, valuable and uh, such as in, to be here in Tanandi, but also here in this exhibition in France, it kind of propels me and gets me out of any comfort zone that I might be in because sometimes I do think um, you can get even, if I wouldn't want to say that the 1820s is comfortable, but you, you find that you're maybe just circling the same camp continually. So that was, um, for me, incredible to just spend more time than usual in a place that isn't already kind of destroyed by, um, you know, past pastoralists. 
And uh, just, just so a, a sound recording accompanied the giant drawing of the verse of the birds. And yeah, stop there. Oh, and an, another work at the similar time was created for um, King Island Memorial project with Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal artists responding to the shipwreck of the Kataraki, which are um, the most humans that have ever drowned off Australian shores. I think it's more like 450 or some massive number of deaths. And half were under, I think half were under 16. So it's like massive families were coming out to Victoria. And uh, this wreck caused a study to be done on the need for lighthouses and uh, inquiry into lighthouses that were then built. So, but um, the island is, it's a very strange and interesting place, King Island, because, um, because there's been no um, resident, ongoing Aboriginal society population, people there until, like right now there's Aboriginal families there, but there was a massive gap since the Ice Age, you know what I mean? And then there were Aboriginal people like my ancestor coming and going with sealing crews, sealing men, that the island has this, um, it's a problem and an interesting one in um, not wanting to partake of and thinking they can avoid the idea of, well, like, no, don't need to welcome to country, don't need to, this, um, it's almost could be like a immigration idyllic paradise for those that don't want to, to understand or be part of uh, the history of this continent, you know, I'm just going sideways here, but I thought it's, I, I found it really strange. It was like another planet, you know, a place that hasn't had such a um, identity and doesn't want to necessarily be part of the um, facing of the guilt or the, the, the work that needs to be done on the rest, for the rest of Australia. So I met um, great artists in particular there that do want to work in this way, but the history of the island is must be similar to Norfolk Island or, you know, Cape Lord Howe Island or, anyway. I'll stop there. Thanks.